Hello, and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the show today is a historian and educator. Please help me welcome Corey Curtis to Self Made. Corey, I'm glad you took time out your day to, to be on the show with me. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So, Corey, you got a lot of interesting things that I wanted to want to discuss on the show. But I want to start just kind of with your early years. Let's take a walk back in time and tell, tell my viewers about your early life, where you grew up and what your childhood was like. Absolutely. Uh, I was born and raised here in Peoria, Illinois. Um, I was always fascinated with uh, history and uh, anytime we'd go to any kind of bookstore or garage sale, if I'd uh, uh, see kind of history books, they would, uh, I'd try to finagle them out of my uh, parents or grandparents, whoever I was with. Uh, and the uh, uh, passion never, never stopped. I enjoyed history up until current where I'm currently at now. Um, so so what, 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 what was high school like here in Peoria? What, what were some of the challenges you faced as a, as a kid growing up here? And uh, what was it like going to high school? So um, going to high school, I went to Manual High School. Um, some of the challenges, uh, it was uh, uh, not the best funded high school. Resources were limited. Uh, and that definitely had an impact on the classes being offered. Um, we had great teachers. I remember one teacher did what he what he could. He organized a history club, and uh, uh, we would uh, we would have weekly meetings where we discuss certain topics. Uh, uh, he always tried to get some kind of uh, uh, field trip for those who uh, were involved, uh, but the uh, due to kind of budget constraints that uh, that never really materialized, but, uh, um, it was, uh, uh, still definitely a good experience. And, uh, the, the history teacher's name was Mr. Manioni. Uh, he, uh, definitely impacted the way I think about history now. Why do you think, uh, you developed such a passion for history? I think it's the stories, uh, if you go beyond the history is just names and dates, there's fascinating stories uh, in each in each part of history. And if you can tell it right, then uh, it's, it's just a great it's, it's a great place to start uh, uh, to read the lives of some of these people that we never met or we can't even comprehend what they went through. Uh, but yet we can read about what, uh, how they experience life and possibly get a better understanding of the world around us and ourselves. Now, I know that your journey to um, become an educator uh, wasn't just the smoothest uh, transition. I know that you started school and you had to go back uh, and finish your degree later. Can you talk to me about college and what that was like and then what were the circumstances um, that, you know, made you finishing your education uh, kind of difficult? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I graduated. I went to college at uh, first ICC. It was a community college here in uh, the Peoria area. Uh, then I went to Bradley University where I got a history degree. And once I graduated, I didn't really know what to do with a history degree. I started working at Caterpillar up until the 2008 recession occurred. Um, once I got laid off, I 
wanted to go back to school. I went to school for business and economics uh, and double majored in that and uh, worked in the business environment for quite some time. I uh, uh, eventually got a job as an economist and I worked there for about seven years. Uh, and then the passion for history was still too strong. Um, I had been working with the Peoria Historical Society, which kind of emboldened my passion even more. So I uh, uh, very abruptly quit my job and enrolled uh, back in school to get my teacher's license. And uh, uh, that's where I am now. Now, when you went back to school, you had two children at that time, correct? Yes, uh, correct. When uh, I went to get my teacher's license, I had a uh, right now they're uh, 12 and nine. Uh huh. So how did that how did that, you know, impact your ability to uh, go back and complete your your degree? Well, it was definitely uh, more difficult with kids. Fortunately, they were old enough to be self-sufficient, but they were at that age where they're getting into sports and extracurriculars. Uh, so the evenings would get a little busy. So you definitely had to uh, manage your time and uh, think about when you needed to uh, have your assignments done. Uh, I tried to get as much done as early as possible just in case things would come up. Kids get sick, uh, appointments happen. So uh, it definitely uh, uh, was some finagling with uh, time for a little bit. Yeah. So tell me about the Peoria Historical Society. What What is the... Uh the mission there and, and what do you you do as a, as, as a volunteer? So the Peoria Historical Society, I've been a part of for, I'm going to my sixth year now, uh, and our mission is to uh, preserve the history and tell about uh, uh, Peoria's past. And uh, uh, when I was, uh, I would drive around Peoria and look at these buildings and I just think, what's, what's the story behind these buildings? Um, and uh, Finally, I decided to join the Historical Society, and I started learning about all these areas of Peoria. And it turned out Peoria has a very fascinating history uh, that I would say on, it's on par with some of the larger cities. Really? Peoria so, was... Oh, go ahead. No, go, you, go ahead and finish. Uh, Peoria was the uh, whiskey capital of the world. Uh, uh, I think uh, everybody inside Peoria knows that we produce the most whiskey... Uh, uh, for almost uh, almost a hundred years, um, in fact, uh, uh, tax receipts show that during the Civil War, uh, the sales tax on whiskey paid over fifty percent of the war efforts for uh, the North. Uh, so, uh, uh, just that alone is just a remarkable detail, yeah. and that's all part of Peoria's history. Now, I know that you have uh, a deep interest in the uh, Underground Railroad and abolitionist uh, movement. Uh, how did you develop that, that interest? So, as I said, uh, a lot of st stories from Peoria are very well known, like the whiskey, uh, our theaters, uh, our health care, our uh, manufacturing. That was all well known. Everyone, talk, everyone who's in Peoria knows those stories well. Um, what they don't know are the stories of the Underground Railroad and abolitionist movement here in Peoria. Uh, so when I first joined the Historical Society, I started uh, volunteering at a one of our historical homes uh, here on Moss Avenue. And I learned of a man by the name of Moses Pattengill. 
and found out that he was not only an abolitionist, but he was actually a conductor in the Underground Railroad. And that fascinated me, and I wanted to learn more. Uh, but I found out that uh, uh, getting information about him was, uh, and the Underground Railroad here was very difficult because it hadn't ever been really researched. So I decided that uh, I needed to start recording these stories and pulling them out from the graveyard before they disappeared entirely. Uh, and so for about two years now, I've been doing presentations on Peoria's Underground Railroad, the abolitionist movement here. And uh, uh, it's this kind of living document that I'm still even researching now. I add to it. Um, I try to every every time I do a presentation, I try to uh, present some type of new information, something I've uh, found most recent. So tell us a little bit about what you've learned about the uh, Underground Railroad and the abolitionist movement as it relates to Peoria. There's some interesting uh, facts that I think the viewers would love to, to hear about. So Peoria was a very divided city back in the 1840s, 1850s, and 1860s. Uh, most of the uh, uh, most of the population here leaned Democrat, uh, which would have had sympathies with the uh, uh, southern states and uh, the slaveholders. Uh, so it made it very hard for an abolitionist to operate. Uh, in fact, one historian wrote about Peoria as being the second most uh, uh, dangerous town to be an abolitionist in outside of Alton, Illinois. Uh, there were riots. There were uh, uh, murders. There were um, uh, all kinds of incidents where uh, people would have threats against their life. It was uh, just a very dangerous place to be if you were an abolitionist. Uh, uh, they would, if you were found to be an abolitionist, people would uh, boycott your store or your business or uh, try to vandalize your home or threaten your family. So the uh, the conductor, uh, what role did, did he play during the uh, the movement? So Moses Pettengill being the conductor, he lived um, uh, pretty close to the riverfront. So his role would be to meet runaway slaves as they cross the river. Uh, Tazewell County is right across the river from us. So he would have friends and uh, uh, people coordinating their efforts to get runaway slaves across the Illinois River and where he would meet the runaway slaves. He would hide them in his house, uh, give them food, uh, warm clothes if necessary, and then take them to the next stop um, out of Peoria. Uh, his role was to uh, keep them safe, um, keep uh, informed on any kind of slave catchers that might be in the area. Uh, there's one story where he does meet, uh, there's three runaway slaves that are crossing the river once they be, once they get to the shore uh two slave catchers pop out of this swampy area and they actually capture two of the slaves but moses is actually uh able to get one to his to his house so he had to be up to date on all the information 
from outside sources on where these slave catchers were uh, in order to complete his job. So as you uh, studied this topic, uh, what um, I guess what or how do you feel about, you know, like currently uh, we see in this country where there are in some states at least this kind of movement to kind of remove a lot of this historical information from uh, the classrooms. Uh, you know, you know, how do you feel about that? I I do not think uh, that we should really be removing any type of information from the class, uh, you know, unless it's um, overly offensive, um, which is kind of subjective to say, but uh, it's a dangerous road to go down when you start removing books and uh, uh, things from a curriculum. And I would really uh, strongly advise thinking about what you're doing before you actually do that. What what areas of history are you most uh, interested in? So, of course, I'm you know, when I hear the underground uh, railroad and the abolitionist movement, I think about black history. Is that a, an area that you study uh, a lot? Yeah, I've uh, studied like the works uh, of Frederick Douglass, uh, Du Bois. Um, I, I like the writing when you uh, I have taught classes in sociology. Uh, they have this fascinating uh, perspective as sociologists as as well. Um, I would say my favorite part in history is to study is the 1830s to the 1860s because it really uh, is this defining moment in America where on what path we're going to take. Are we going to be a nation that stands up to the ideals it was founded on? Or are we going to go the other way and uh, restrict liberties and freedoms for millions of people. So talk a little bit about that time period. What are some of the significant uh, events and decisions that, or, you know, that were made that uh, set us on the, on the path that we're on today? Um, there were a lot of road bumps in the abolitionist movement. Um, it was a rough course for those who support the abolitionist cause. Um, and you had, especially the 1850s, the 1850s, you had the Dred Scott case that uh, uh, basically said the African-Americans were not even citizens and they couldn't uh, be seen in the court. You had the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which essentially expanded, expanded slavery uh, north of the uh, Mason-Dixon line. Um, you had also... Um, local communities and states that would impose their own kind of uh, restrictions. In fact, Illinois in the 1840s and 1850s enacted these what's called the Black Codes, and it was just to restrict black immigration into the uh, state. Uh, they would impose uh, penalties if you're um, if an African American was found without correct papers. Uh, they would impose uh, financial pen penalties knowing they couldn't pay. If they couldn't pay, somebody would pay for them, and they would have to work off their, their debt. So it was almost like this roundabout slavery in Illinois because of these black codes. Um, so it was just this very long and arduous road 
that did finally set us up for uh, um, the Civil War and uh, uh, ultimately um, uh, the liberation of slaves. So you mentioned Frederick Douglass. Um, what do you find, I guess, most intriguing about uh, studying uh, him as a, as a historical figure? Frederick Douglass was a very fascinating person. He would go around with some of these traveling, uh, they called them itineraries. They would traveling missionaries. And he would, uh, um, as a black, well-spoken man uh, for someone in the 1830s, 1840s, uh, that would create a very, uh, that would make people uncomfortable when he would enter a town and he would speak. He came to Peoria uh, in the 1850s and spoke here in Peoria. Um, and uh, I, I think he's just, uh, his push just to move move anti-slavery forward is just very, very compelling. And what about W.E.B. E. Du Bois? W.E.B. Du Bois, um, he, uh, his views after uh, the emancipation of slaves on how do we go forward from there was uh, uh, very fascinating to read. It's, uh, um, he kind of has this debate Booker T, with Booker T. Washington right. on what's the proper uh, move we should go in, especially the education of young black kids. Right. And uh, they both recognize that in order to advance their cause, they had to promote education, but they had different ways about doing it. Booker T. Washington, uh, he was a little bit more reserved, while uh, Du Bois, uh, he wanted uh, um, a more kind of radical I guess back then radical, but now we call it more equal um, form of education and uh, uh, just reading about their two views and their reasons behind it is always uh, fascinating, both as a historian and uh, reading it from a sociological standpoint. Uh, why, why do you think it's um, uh, important to to study history and and, and learn these stories? Etc. Why do you feel that that's important? I think I'm not going to say that history repeats itself because no, uh, you know, no event is a mirror image of the other. But there are definitely uh, uh, events that can happen that will allow us to see what. Uh, um, uh, these decisions can be made what they'll, what they'll cause. So it, it does give us a, a, a glimpse into if we make decision X, then how is that going to um, pan out? What, what are going to be the repercussions? Are there going to be any unintended consequences because we did this? Uh, I think history allows for this. Um, and also, I think the people that uh, um, really that that or in the books of history, um, their stories don't need to be forgotten. They were uh, important people. They did really great things, and they should be um, they should be celebrated and spoken of. Right. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I do want to talk about your role at the uh, P uh, Peoria Historical Society. Uh, talk to me about uh, your your job and your role there as a tour guide and other areas that you may work in. 
So uh, for the Peoria Historical Society, I do. I started off and still do uh, uh, historic tours of our home on Moss Avenue. Uh, then I branched off. We do uh, city tours, whether that be walking tours or bus tours. Um, one of some, some of the most interesting tours we have is in uh, what's called Springdale Cemetery. It's the second oldest chartered cemetery in uh, Illinois. It dates all the way back to the early 1850s. These beautiful uh, monuments and grave sites that uh, you can walk through and you're almost like in a, in a park-like setting. Um, so we talk about some of the uh, people that are laid to rest there. Uh, my favorite one to do in the summertime is in uh, Springfield Cemetery, and it's a Civil War tour, um, and kind of highlight uh, some of the uh, locals who um, had influence during the Civil War because the Civil War during the 1860 to 1865 it was a uh, uh, it was definitely a, a contentious place to be in Peoria um, and uh, kind of filled with suspicion. No, tell me about the historical home uh, that you uh, tour. So the historical home, it was built in 1868. It was uh, uh, built by Moses Pattengill. His original property, the actual site of the Underground Railroad, uh, which is now where the Civic Center now stands in downtown Peoria, uh, he sold that property and bought the Moss Avenue property in 1862, completed the house in 1868. Um, and he lived there with his wife and adopted son until he passed away in 1883. Uh, it's uh, went through seven different owners until the last owner, Jean Marone, um, she passed away and uh, the uh, executors of her will donated the house along with all its content to the Peoria Historical Society. Do you uh, so you all receive a lot of uh, donations of historical uh, properties and artifacts, et cetera, or we have two properties, uh, the Moss Avenue one. Uh, and then we also have one on Glen Oak. It's the uh, uh, the Flanagan house. It's the oldest. Um, it's the oldest house in Peoria. It's from 1837. Uh, besides that, we actually we do. We have a lot of. Uh, uh, artifacts that get donated or uh, um, uh, most of them are donated. Some people, the volunteers bring them in if they uh, find something interesting. Uh, what are some of the things that, that people love to come and, and see and, you know, and visit the society for? So the home that I give a tour, uh, people Love the fact that uh, Moses Pattengill was an abolitionist and a conductor in the Underground Railroad, but also uh, um, we get a lot of uh, 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 reaction, positive reactions that uh, the house was actually the wedding site to uh, where uh, uh, Cynthia Stone and Jack Lemon were married. Uh, Jack Lemon being yeah. the uh, actor. And so of the historical figures that you uh, study, and I, and I know you've studied quite a few, uh, who are the most significant, significant figures in your mind and why? Oh, that's a good question. Locally or nationally? Well, let's, let's do both. Let's, let's do a local and a national. 
Okay. Um, locally, I would have to say, and I'm probably biased here, Moses Pattengill. Moses Pattengill, um, he worked for th- three decades uh, on uh, uh, tr- trying to, on the emancipation of slaves. Uh, he not only did that, but he uh, built, after after slavery was abolished, he built a school that uh, uh, people could go to no matter their race, no matter their gender. Uh, so he was very, uh, very much an advocate for uh, equal uh, equal protection, equal rights. Uh, so I would say Moses Pattengill um, is locally the most uh, my favorite. Uh, a lot of people would maybe argue that, but he's. Well, he, I think he's he's definitely my favorite. And take about thirty seconds and tell me about your national figure. My national figure, um, it's going to be very cliche, but uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, for a man who went through so much trials in his life from his kids dying, one while he was in the White House, one while he was fighting a war, uh, to his wife having a severe depression, um, he, he was faced with a lot of hard decisions and he was able to keep the country together um, uh, without imposing any kind of uh, um, really undemocratic way. So uh, I would say Abraham Lincoln nationally is uh, is one of my favorites. Corey, look, I appreciate this moment in uh, in history with you. Uh, it's been a great way to, to uh, kind of wrap up Black History Month. And so I want to uh, take the time to thank you for joining me on this episode of Self Made. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.